Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Susanna Lee. I don't like being told what to do, you know? I would much rather touch a stranger's dick than bring you extra lemons for your water. That and more. But before that, I just want to remind you that the Risk book is done. I just got 25 copies in the mail today. It's beautiful. It's such a nice, big book. We've been in the process of working on the audiobook. Now, I don't think you can pre-order the audiobook yet, uh, but in the process of recording it, it's just been such a reminder of how extraordinary these stories are. What a remarkable variety of hilarious and absolutely terrifying and absolutely like gorgeous stories are all throughout this book. So be sure and pre-order it. Hey, if you're interested in audiobooks, you're probably going to want a paper copy too. I don't know if you're that way. I'm the, like when I really love a book, I like to have the paper and the audio. But anyway, pre-order the risk book by going to theriskbook.com and or you can text to the number 900-900, the word risk, and that will enter you into the pre-ordering process. You can email me at kevin at risk-show.com, a proof that you have pre-ordered the book, and I'll sing your name at the end of the show. We're so excited. We need as many pre-orders as possible, so don't forget to remind your friends to get lots of copies for everyone they know at theriskbook.com. Also, these days, you can get practically everything you want on demand, like this show. You can listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you still taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages? You can get postage on demand with Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, using your own computer and printer, then the mail carrier picks it up. Just click, print, mail, you're done. Couldn't be easier. We've been using stamps.com at risk and the story studio for many years now, and we love it. And right now, you can use Risk for this special offer. It includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Risk. That's stamps.com. Enter Risk. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin i'm kevin allison and this is the incredible boingo band i think behind me now uh yeah no uh, incredible bongo band bongo boingo oingo boingo we had so many great reactions <clears throat> That was a rather liquidy great. Uh, we had so many great reactions to last week's episode. People thought Jolenta Greenberg's story was 
absolutely hilarious. But then, of course, there was David Crabb's story about his dog, Charlie Whitepaw. People were just losing their minds at how sweet and sad and beautiful that story was. Remember, always share with friends and family when you hear a particular story that really moves you. Show them how to find the show, how to download it, how to find that particular, you know, you can say to them, hey, it's 20 minutes into this episode here. Here's the link. Now, today's episode is called Live from Lawrence. This is a really special evening. We had never been to Lawrence, Kansas before, or, you know, Kansas City, Missouri, that whole area. We'd never been around there before. And these folks who appeared in the show that night, like, you know, uh, many of them had very little storytelling experience, but were so coachable. You know, we love to really work with our storytellers. We love to really like hear a first draft, give you a lot of feedback, kind of poke and dig at you, like make sure you're okay, kind of almost therapeutically walk you through it and go through several. And when people are really coachable, when people are like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm really willing to work on this with you and make it the most it can be, man, does it pay off? That is why I encourage all of you, if you think, I don't know if I could ever tell a story on that show, I'll bet you you could. I'll bet you you could, motherfucker. Wherever in the world you are, we are at risk-show.com slash submissions. Okay, let's get to, in just a little bit, we're going to hear a phenomenal story from Jeanette Powers. But before that, we're going to hear from actor and playwright Philip Blue Owl Hooser, who you can find on Twitter at Blue Owl Boy. Here he is now with a story we call Two Spirit. I was sitting in the choir loft, staring at the back of our pastor's impossibly golden pompadour, when he said the words, it doesn't matter if you have friends who are Jewish or Buddhist or any other religion, you won't see them in heaven unless you can get them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I had those words kind of echoing in my head, and it was starting to sound like there was someone tap dancing on a concrete garage floor. And I realized the sound of that pounding was actually my heart because I knew I was going to have to leave this place. I could not stay here anymore, and this was a place where I was supposed to find comfort and where I was supposed to find my way into the afterlife and where I had also learned to roller skate and to play pool and to give a better blowjob to some great guys. <laughs> which it all happened by accident, which I realized makes it sound like I tripped and fell open-mouthed onto someone's penis, but it's a little more complicated than that. You see, when I was about 10 years old, uh, which would be in about 1970, I was standing in our uh, 1970s brown kitchen with avocado accents, and I was speaking with my mother, and I said, well, um, are we going to do anything special for Persephone's return this year? And my mother said, Philip, what do you mean? 
my mother, you should understand, has been told all of her life that she looks like Olivia de Havilland in Gone with the Wind. complete with an actual southern accent because my parents are both from very southern, very rural Oklahoma. And I thought, great. This is my opportunity. I will get to become the teacher because my parents were both teachers. But here was something I knew because I had read all of these wonderful books with titles like Greek and Roman mythology. So I knew what I was talking about. And I explained, you know, every year Persephone returns from the underworld, her mother decorates the world, and we call that spring, but it's really because of Persephone. And my mother said, Philip, we don't believe that. And she sat me down there in the, in the kitchen and she explained, we believe in Jesus who will wash us in his blood because of our sins. And I knew this Jesus guy, I'd heard of him. Because down the street from us, there was a Catholic high school and like, you know, any good shop, they had their goods in the window. There was Jesus looking very welcoming, arms stretched wide, like he just wanted to hug you. But washing in blood did not sound very hygienic to me. Let alone the idea of sins. Sins, what were sins? I, I didn't really have a working definition of sins was part of the problem. I just thought it was you know, something bad that you did that hurt other people. And I thought, I'm not having sins. I don't have sins. I'm just having secret sex with the other boys in the neighborhood. <laughs> Now, we didn't call it secret sex. We, we didn't really call it anything except you can't tell anyone. <laughs> And it wasn't hurting anyone. It felt really good. So I, I didn't really understand this idea of sin, but soon thereafter I got to learn because I think as a direct result of that conversation, we began attending a Southern Baptist church. I know, right? If you're not familiar with, those of you who did not groan, uh, if you're not familiar with the Southern Baptist Church, they broke from the American Baptist Church over the issue of slavery. They have Southern in their name, guess which side they were on. <laughs> And they talked a lot about sin there. Uh, there were sins of drinking alcohol and sins of using playing cards, which were the devil's tickets. But there was one sin they didn't actually talk about. As I learned when I heard one of the church ladies say, you know, Dick was buying a new suit over at the Herman's department store, and I think that the new clerk there is homosexual. As if they were scared to say it out loud. You know, as if you were to say, homosexual, 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 and one would appear. <laughs> if only that worked. So we began attending the church. I must say the people were nice to your face. And this was before the scandal where one of the deacons of the church had shoplifted a huge glass gallon jug of wine and had sat in the men's room of this store and drank it. The scandal was not that he shoplifted. It was the wine. And so we began attending this, not religiously, or really. <laughs> A better choice of words might be to say not regularly, but it amounts to the same thing. Until 
I heard the one word that was guaranteed to strike the true fear of God into me. Philip, what mother? <laughs> Your father and I have been talking, never a good sign. <laughs> and we think it would be a good idea if you were to sing in the youth choir at the church. Now later I also talked with my father about this. I said, did you two really talk about this? And he said, we did. Your mother did most of the talking. <laughs> my father, very much a Native American man, you, you know, man of few words. He's red, my mother's white, I'm pink, particularly my triangles. And so every Wednesday, I would join the other Baptist kids walking from our junior high over to our church. And the church was actually uh, on the top of the hill, the actual congregation part of the church. And then down the side of this hill on a city block, there was a, a pink brick building called the Education Building. And then they had built a new annex, which was their recreation center. We would kill time before choir down at the rec center because they had a great basketball court and roller skates and you could wear the roller skates on the basketball court because they weren't street shoes. <laughs> and I learned to play Rook and Uno because those are not played with real playing cards because that's a sin. Well, one day I left early to go up the hill for choir practice because it was all the way up in the, the same building with the congregation. And I realized, oh, I gotta pee. I know, I should have gone before I left the building. It's too late now. So I ducked into the education building and, and we weren't really supposed to go in there. So it's being very quiet and very sneaky and going down the hall and going to the men's room and opening the door very quietly. No squeak of the door at all. And as I, my eyes were adjusting to the half-light of this room, I could hear a sound that I recognized. It was the sound of secret sex. And I looked under one of the stall doors, and there were shoes I recognized as belonging to two of my more pious cohorts who had grown up in the church. They belonged to Hypocrite McLip Service, not his real name. <laughs> and Bill Quick Trigger, half his real name. And they hadn't really been able to close the stall door, so I was able to get it open all of a sudden. And as I looked, Hypocrite was on his knees giving McLip service to Bill's quick trigger. <laughs> and I tripped and fell open-mouthed onto Bill's penis. <laughs> and he lived up to his quick trigger. Boing! And that day, I learned that what I had been doing finally had a real name. It was called, We're Just Fooling Around, We're Not Homos. <laughs> and I thought, I need to look this word homos up and find out what this means. <laughs> because, you know, I'd read Greek and Roman mythology. I hadn't read the dictionary yet. That came later. So every Wednesday then, uh, I would, or uh, one of the others would come to me and say, hey, 
did you get that extra credit assignment? Again, I was up for extra credit because that was our code word. And so we would traipse off to the men's room, which is why still to this day the smell of spick and span, oh, turns me on. I love to clean. And it was this wonderful, like we were living in a Lou Reed song. We never lost our heads, even when we were given head. And it was just this afternoon of, you know, sucking and moving and getting on your knees, not to pray, but in a different kind, take and eat, for this is my body. And we were just really loving having this wonderful time together until we'd then go up to choir with cum on our breath and hear the Baptist girls go, do, 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 do. Until that one Sunday morning when we were sitting behind the pastor and he said, it doesn't matter if you have friends who are Jewish or Buddhist, you will not see them in heaven unless you get them to convert and accept our Lord, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I thought, they think we have to change other people. I, I don't understand. Why, why should we have to change people? We sing that song that goes, just as I am. You know, that you're supposed to be accepted as you are. And I thought, you know, if they knew uh, things about me that they think that are sins, then they would want to change me, too. And I don't think that I need to change. I'm loving the way I am. Other people seem to have a problem with it, but I don't. And I don't understand why I should have to do that. And then the service was suddenly over, and I tripped up the stairs going back to our choir room where I hung my robe up in a closet that smells of mothballs and repression, which is what I think the closet smells like. And I went out and uh, my parents were waiting in the car for me to drive me because I was still, you know, just barely 14. And it was like there was a fourth person in the car with the three of us, a person who was enormous and thick and sweaty and stinky. And we didn't want to have there with us at all. And then I found myself saying, do you really think that we need to change other people? And my mother said, well, Philip, that's what he said. And I said, because I, I, that doesn't seem right to me at all. I mean, we, we sh I know that I was using this as a substitute for saying, hey, I'm a homo, because by now I knew what it meant. <laughs> it was a substitute conversation. In this situation, we found ourselves in the church that day, and I, I said, look, um, if we're not to like people for who they are, then isn't that just as, as amount to the same thing as hating them? And before my mother could say, well, my father said, well, that's the same message I got, and I don't care if we ever go back again. And we didn't. We'd gone from Lou Reed to R.E.M. and I was losing my religion. <laughs> and it was almost summer when this happened. And so I wasn't seeing uh, Hypocrite and Bill in school. And I, I wasn't at church, so I wasn't having, you know, my blowjob club either. <laughs> But I ran into hypocrite, and uh, I said, hey, 
because I'm smooth that way. (laughs) Did you get all that extra credit in before school ended? And he said, no. There's not going to be any more extra credit because that is a sin. And that was virtually the last word he ever spoke to me and I still had to go through four years of high school with the both of them afraid that they were going to reveal a secret about me that I wasn't prepared to face myself. But maybe they were also afraid that I would reveal something about them. I don't know, but I've gone on after that to study the world's religions and learn what they're all about. And um, I have yet to find myself in one, although I've developed a sort of spirituality uh, for myself, which to, to me is about a relationship between myself and other people. And a great deal of that has come from studying my Native American roots and finding out that we had a concept called two-spirit, which is considered to be both a male and female spirit living in the same body. My, my native name, Blue Owl, comes from the idea that owls also have two spirits. We are the gender non-conforming people, as would be said today, of uh, the 400 nations of America, and we were told to have some special medicine, an ability, or a skill that we could bring, or perhaps just a message that would help heal the tribe, not in the sense of a doctor healing the body, but of a way of healing the spirit. And we would take in orphans, and the, uh, the two spirits with female bodies would often become fierce warriors and they would take wives. And the two spirits with male bodies would take husbands. And I like to think that I am part of that tradition, still carrying it on some way and finding a way to help heal through storytelling. And if I do have some special message that I can impart to the world, I believe that it is this. I have looked hypocrisy and intolerance in its ugly face. But I also know I stuck my dick in its mouth. Everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Philip We don't believe that Sierra sits down next to me and says, Mom, you probably already know this, but I'm a boy. Full stop. No, I do not know this, 
But luckily, I have a lot of practice at that plastic face a parent puts on to not either hysterically laugh or violently attack your child in any given moment. And cool, I say, well, are you okay? And she goes, well, actually, I'm great. You know, I came out to all my friends, and I came out on Tumblr, and everybody's been so supportive, and, you know, I'm feeling really great. Really great is not a thing I hear a lot from my daughter. My daughter is so catastrophically shy, she's incapable of ordering food from a server at a restaurant. She will not even choose her own clothing in a store. She makes me go buy clothing for her. So hearing really great, I'm just like, okay, we're going with this one. And I put it aside and I say, okay, well, is there anything I can do for you? Can I help in some way? And she says, there's two things. One, my name is Cassavander now. And two, I need you to use he, him pronouns. Well, I have 15 years of practice with she, be, and Sierra, and I'm messing up all the time. Misgendering, dead naming, learning all these things that I never thought I would need. Well, I mean, I didn't even know existed. Until one day, we're in a busy elevator, it's a full elevator, the music's playing, it's the Beatles, and all of a sudden, my son is next to me, you get by with a little help from your friends, singing aloud with joy in front of people. And it was that moment I had a son, clear as day. This child had been living a lie her whole life, and that's why she was so closed up. And I never had a trouble again. And I'm just proud because this is a kid who hollers at his teacher saying, you know, Columbus is not who discovered America. <laughs> and is going out and having fun and getting in trouble. And this is the kid that I've wanted, one you can trust going out in the world to be okay. And he comes out at school and he goes to an art school in the city and he's not the first transgender kid. So it's super easy. Everybody's just right on board with it. And we're free sailing and I'm watching this kid blossom. But we decide we're not gonna come out to my extended family because they're kinda like, make America great again, conservative. <laughs> so we're just gonna hold off a little bit on this one. I mean, my mother actually called me once and said, Jeanette, do you think Barack Obama is the Antichrist? <laughs> so we're just gonna take it easy for a while. Oh, and Cass and Grandma have a wonderful relationship. I'm a single mom. He's been staying with his grandma his entire life, going to family vacations. And where me and my mom, maybe not so much, but Cass and my mom are great. And so when he comes home from her house and his face looks like gravity has like grabbed it and pulled it all the way down, I said, what's wrong? He goes, they know. What? They know I'm trans. I said, you came out? I'm happy, you know? And he goes, no. We ran into my gym teacher. And he comes right up, happy as could be. Hey, Cassavander, how you doing? This your grandma? You must be so proud of him. He's such a great student. Man, can he hit that basket from the line? It's so great. And I know exactly what happened. But I say, what happened? And Cass goes, silent treatment. 
Now, my mother once gave me the silent treatment for two years because I wouldn't do the cap and gown thing after I graduated college, which I paid for myself. So I know what happened. It's arms crossed, teeth clench. There's no more breathing at all. The face is glowering with this kind of rage. And I can do that impression really well, but none of you want me to. And so I just give him a big hug and I said, she didn't speak to you the whole way home? No. So we're just gonna let it go for a minute. Everything's gonna be okay. But there's a problem. My wonderful sister is like a Barbie whose only dream is to have a perfect wedding and a ton of children. This woman looks like she walked right out of a Target catalog and she can't wait to register there. And ever since the time I showed up to my aunt's funeral wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt cut up and a jean mini skirt with flip-flops, they kind of tell me how to dress for events and that's okay. So when I get the texts on dress suggestions, there's not just one for me, there's one for Cass too, a dress. And I'll be goddamned if anybody's gonna make my son wear a dress anywhere unless he wants to. And so I call a thank you. I call a family meeting. And we really should have done this before because nothing ever happens right. Everything's always messed up and then we just let it go and it gets worse. And so I say, can we please meet at a park? And to my great tremendous shock, my mother says yes. She has never gone to a park with me before in my entire life. She's more of the casino steakhouse where she can humiliate and stiff the server type. And so Cassavander walks over, oh, it's a bright August day, Saturday in the busiest park in Kansas City. Cassavander walks over from his friend's house. I pull up in my truck, my mom and sister are already there and we find them. And the place they have chosen in this beautiful park is the kiddie pool, which is a 50 foot by 40 foot concrete slab with a 15 foot chain link fence around it. And my only thought is, how am I gonna run away if we're trapped in that cage? And we go sit down, because there's no way they're gonna sit on the grass, okay. And we sit at the table, and this is a heavy, heavy table. There is no way to even begin, but it's always me that's gonna have to. So I say, Hi, thanks for being here. We'd like to ask if Cass could be a boy at the wedding. And now my mother is still in the silent treatment mode, so she is not speaking. My sister's doing all the speaking on her behalf, and this is a normal dynamic in our family. And so my sister says, okay, so you're a boy? And Cass says, yes. And my sister goes, but you have a boyfriend? And he goes, yes. So you're gay? Yes. Well, when are you going to get a penis? My son says, I don't have body dysmorphia. I have a boy's vagina. And this is the moment my mother comes screaming out of her shell. What? You can't have it both ways. Science is science. That's what you're always telling me. And science says boys have penises and girls have vaginas. And if you're going to be a boy, you have to get a penis. 
I want you all to keep in mind that there are 22 children in the swimming pool 10 feet over to the side. And what I'm thinking, and I'm glad I didn't say, is so when you go up to a woman who says, I've got breast cancer, you're just like, you're going to get them titties cut off? But instead, I look over at my son, and he's just getting smaller and smaller, and he's disappearing again before my eyes. And so I say, everybody, let's take a compromise. Cass, if you can wear whatever you want to the wedding, and we'll look nice, we'll be respectful, will you go as Sierra, her? No words, just this nod. And I say, is it okay? We'll approve whatever we buy for Cass to wear to the wedding. And they say, yes. And then it's back to me. This is all your fault. You just let her do whatever she wants in this entire world and now she thinks she can just be whatever she wants to be and it doesn't have anything to do with it. And this is why you're always making everything all about you. And this is my big day. And I just said, Babe, you're right. This is your day. And we're going to be there for you because we want to be there for you. But this is also an amazing chance to let the whole family know that we support Cass being transgender. And they're just like, no, not on my watch. This isn't happening. And this child is now about this big. And so I say, okay, we'll send you the pictures of the clothes that we choose. And we stand up and we all walk away. And nobody's gotten what they want and nobody's happy and nobody's going home feeling like they've got a family. I just feel punched in the gut. Just like sick. I failed everybody my whole life and I couldn't even stand up for my son in this moment that he needed and deserved. And my stomach just starts gurgling and it's talking to me and it's saying Jeanette you are about to take the most horrifying shit of your life <laughs> and it's 50 feet to my truck and I seriously considering just shitting my pants in my front seat but it's not that far to the public bathroom at the park and I decide to chance it clenched cheeks walking fast I'm holding it in. I'm, this, every iota of my attention is centered on my butthole, and that's how I knew when it opened. And it was warm, and it felt like Vaseline that had been in the oven, and it starts pushing down between my thighs with velocity, and then more horrifyingly, it's actually pushing up the back of my ass crack, and it's coming out. And I'm just hoping there's not a line. And I round the corner, it's an entire girls little league team waiting in line for the bathroom at the park and that is when I make an executive decision. I walk to the front of the line. I look each girl dead in the eye. And I say, I'm next. And it's gonna be a while. 
And then we all wait together for the girl inside to come out. And she does, and I run in, and locking the door was like winning the lottery. And I pull off these tight white pants. I mean, I'm looking cute. I got this little slip on. I mean, this is not good. I pull them off, and just shit is falling everywhere. And then I have the most horrifying thought, which is there's no way I'm walking out of this park with clothes on. And I grab my phone, and I call my son. Cass, I've shit the hell out of myself. I'm locked in the public bathroom, and I need you to come back and help me. On my way, Mom. There's a dog towel in my car. I tell him to, in my truck, I tell him to get it, like, you know, for the dog park. So he, here's the knock. Here's the red, raggedy dog park towel. And my wonderful son. And he walks, and I've been trying to clean myself up. The bathroom, like, reeks of shit. I filled up the whole trash can. It was a fucking air dryer. Like, fuck you, half-ply bathroom paper. And I wrap it around me, and I say, Cass. Oh, did I mention I was crying? <laughs> I was crying. I say, Cass, will you please just walk me to my car? I can't do it alone. And he's out, of course, Mom. Come on. And we walk out. And I'm not even looking around. I'm just, like, dead inside. I'm just looking straight at the ground. And we're walking to my truck. And I feel him take my hand. And he's holding my hand as we walk that last distance of humiliation and shame. And he gets me in my truck. And I look at him. I say, thanks for coming back, son. He goes, Mom, of course. And Mom, that's not the shittiest thing that happened today. This is Risk. This is Jens Lakeman behind me now. And we just heard from Jeanette Powers. Jeanette is a poet. You can look up at JeanettePowers.com. 
Before Jeanette, we heard a fabulous interstitial by our equally fabulous episode editor, Jeff Barr. Now, you might not realize this, but we're not always able to include every story from a particular live evening of the show on the podcast, but we include a lot of them on our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash risk, there are at least like 30 stories there now that you could instantly hear. There was a fantastic story told this very evening that we're focused on right now, this Lawrence, Kansas show that we're going to be uploading there soon. Also, I call them weekly check-ins, but some weeks I miss. But I am going to be uploading a new check-in today. Those are the things where I just sit in front of the microphone and talk about my thoughts and feelings about where I'm at that week. Those go up on an almost weekly basis. So go to patreon.com slash risk and check out all that bonus content that you can get by supporting the show. Okay. As you know, hiring is something that can be very time consuming. It can be confusing. You have so many candidates and applicants to look through, but now there's one place you can go where hiring is actually quite simple and fast and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidate so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive Exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash risk. That's ziprecruiter.com slash risk. Ziprecruiter.com slash risk. Ziprecruiter, the smartest way to hire. <laughs> also, I'd like to talk to you about the fact that sexual performance issues are more common than you might think. The solution is forhims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. With medical-grade solutions, real doctors, and well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that can help you combat ED. Forhims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to the prescriptions, products, and medical advice they need. These are not herbal supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to forhims.com and answering a few quick questions. Then a doctor will review and can prescribe you, and everything will be sent directly to your door. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So go to forhims.com slash risk ed. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash risk ed. Forhims slash risk ed. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from a remarkable woman, Susanna Lee. Uh, you can find her at SusannaLee.com. Susanna is a stand-up and a storyteller and a host in shows around the Kansas City, Missouri area. And here she is now with a story we call Aside from the Outrage. 
watching the 10 year old shoplifting 10 year old watching the 15 year old french kissing 15 year old watching the 20 year old chain smoking 20 year old watching the 30 year old vanishing So uh, in 2014, I was living out in Los Angeles, California. At night, I was pursuing my comedy career, and during the day, I was giving hand jobs to pay my bills. Now that I have all your attention, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not that I'm like hypersexualized or anything. I just gravitate towards sex work when I need a day job. You know, undiscovered artists need to pay their bills, and that's how I prefer to pay mine. Again, not hypersexualized, not uber horny or anything like that. I didn't study it in college. I uh, don't have a podcast about it or anything. Quite frankly, I am just lazy. And I have a problem with authority. I don't like being told what to do, you know? I would much rather touch a stranger's dick than bring you extra lemons for your water. So out in L.A., I found this really sweet gig at a small place. It was a private place. A slang term for it was a a jack shack. They are, yeah, one-on-one private sessions, um, very discreet. And this was awesome. Like, this was a really small place, and we had a really small crew of girls, and everyone got along, and we were all really, really, like, tightly knit. It's like a sorority made of girls that would never, ever get accepted into a sorority. My type of place, you know? Yeah. There was like a sisterly dynamic. We took care of each other. Um, You know, if your car was in the shop, I will give you a ride home. If you are out of weed, I will share my blunt. So that brings us to December of 2014. Now, December is historically a bad month for sex work, especially for me, because that is when all of my customers like to take the money that they usually, you know, give to me, and, and, they, and they, they use it to play Santa to their beloved families. So I was super broke. One of my coworkers, Sophie, she was so sweet. She's everybody's little sister, you know? Just the sweetest little angel, super duper hot, and not exactly um, legal in the country. Uh, she offered me a gig, though. Super broke. Out of the kindness of her heart, she offers me a gig. She offers to take me as the second girl to uh, work dirty at the after party of an annual golf tournament and charity luncheon for retired and current duty law enforcement officials. Right, like working dirty in a room full of cops. What could go wrong? it was, a, it was a Monday afternoon, and we're driving out to the Elks Lodge in Glendale, California. Whoa. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Sun's shining. We get out there, and uh, they're running a little late, so they stash us in this powder room. It's a very fancy ladies' room. Uh, they stash us in there, and, and you know we're in a good mood. We're in a good mood. It's beautiful outside. We're about to make money. We're about to take cops' money. I mean, what could be better than that, you know? <laughs> Great mood. And um, so we're fucking around in this ladies' room, and it's like fancy, and there's pastel, and there's floral, and there's couches, and the walls are lined with the headshots of all the lady elks, and they're all very, very different than us, you know? They're all very, very prim and proper. They're, they're matronly, 
You know, they're women that are described as handsome. These bitches do not shave above the knee, I guarantee it. <laughs> and we're right across the hall from the luncheon room and we can hear their two-piece band. Uh, they have these two guys, one's a retired uh, private investigator and he's singing and playing guitar and then he has some like dickhead friend of his doing something else and, and they sound good, right? And they start to play one of my favorite songs, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. I fucking love that song. Yeah. So uh, Sophia is just like flat ironing her fake hair and I'm just trying to make her laugh by like singing along and, and the thing is I, I notice as I'm singing along that like, like I'm off. I'm off of whatever they're doing. And uh, so I think to myself, well, I guess uh, maybe I don't know the lyrics. Well, that's bullshit. I love that song. I know the lyrics. So I go to the door and I pop it open so I can hear. And I'm not the one fucking up the words. They are. Because they're not singing Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. They are singing Dead, Dead Michael Brown. And I, uh, I had my phone in my hand, and I start recording. And I walk out into the hall and uh, make it look like I'm looking for a better signal because uh, I'm pretty sure they, they don't want this saved for sentimental value. And I'm walking past the door, and the song just keeps going. Like, they haven't just made that, that one chorus. Like, they haven't changed the whole thing. And I'm walking past the door, and I hear them say, Michael was like some old Swiss cheese with his brain splattered on the floor. And I look in, and I see all these motherfuckers laughing. They're laughing. Now, in case you don't remember, Michael Brown was an unarmed African-American teenager in Ferguson, Missouri that was shot and killed by a white cop. And they said he was a bad kid. That was supposed to justify it. It was one of the first incidents that sparked the Black Lives Matter movement. And these motherfuckers are, are laughing about it. The media tells us that it's being taken seriously and these assholes are fucking celebrating it. Like this is why they're called pigs, you know? This is why they're called pigs. And pigs root around in their own shit. Pigs do not deserve to look at some fine ass titties like this. So I'm gonna fucking leave. And then I remember, my rent was due last week. I can't fucking leave. And I go back into the powder room and I sit down and I'm deflated. And Sophia sits down and she's like, what's wrong, my friend? She always calls everybody my friend. And so I tell her and I show her the video and I explain to her, I'm explaining to her who Michael Brown is. And, uh, her eyes get big and she's like, you can't, you, can't, you can't have this, you can't do this, you have to delete it, don't do anything, nobody can see this. And I say, oh no, 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 don't worry about it, nobody's gonna see it. Then a knock you know, comes at the door and they're done, they're ready for us, it's fucking showtime. So we go to their back bar for this dirty little after party. The after party is a small room, gray walls, gray carpet, very small room and there's like 30 dudes in here, that's like, probably about 15 too many. And uh, it's hot and humid, and they're smoking cigars like assholes do in two small spaces. And they're all milling around in their stupid golf shirts and drinking their fucking Bud Lights with this fucking same sense of entitlement that they wear their badges. And 
I'm sitting on the bar just trying to like go somewhere better, trying to go somewhere better. I'm sitting there, spread eagle, trying to smile and flirt, and this fucking old ass judge like slides up between my legs right up here and he goes, oh, you got a lot of tattoos. Oh, you're bad, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, bad? You mean bad like Michael Jackson, or do you mean bad like Michael Brown? Like, can you please clarify? Do you mean bad like I dance real well, or do you mean bad like you could shoot me? Which is it? Only that's not what I say, because my rent was due last week. I sit there, and I giggle like he's fucking funny. And after it was over, we left, I paid my rent. A couple days later, I was at work, and it's slow, not a dick in the place, like no money. And I'm restless, and I'm pacing, and I'm still upset. And I get on Facebook, good idea. (laughs) And the first thing I see is like my old hometown nemesis. And she's posting some like self-congratulatory bullshit. And I see all my old friends, like, patting her on the back, too. And I, I just was so full of this resentment and anger. And it's not fair. Self-pity like a motherfucker. And without even thinking about it, I write up this post about, oh, life is so hard out here. Oh, look what I have to do. And I post the video. Mm. And I sit back and I wait for the validation to roll in. And it does. Validation is kind of trickling in, rolling in. 30 minutes later, an email rolls in. An email from Chad at TMZ. TMZ Tabloid TV. Chad emails to tell me that someone has uh, sent them my video. And he was wondering if like, maybe we could chit-chat about it. I didn't even know it was possible to take a video off Facebook. I don't, I, I don't know anything about that. So I immediately go to Facebook. I take down the post and I put another one up, just lambasting whoever betrayed me. Whoever betrayed you are a horrible asshole. And, and, and you're going to get paid for Fuck you. And, and then, I, uh, then I call Chad. Because <laughs> I was mad, but TMZ, that's TV, and this is L.A., and... Maybe I could be important. Yeah. Chad and I talk, and we're having a conversation. I'm telling him the details about that event, and at one point, Chad repeats something back to me that I said, and that's when I realized that he was like making notes, and I stopped, and I was like, Chad, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, Chad. Um, this is off the record, right? Right? Like we're just having a casual conversation. Like you're not. This is just us talking, like, you know, you and me, right, Chad? And he goes, no, 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 I, I'm interviewing you because we're going to publish this video. And I was like, Chad, no, you can't do that, Chad. If you publish this, you're putting somebody's life in danger, not mine, the girl that took me. And I explained to him that these guys, they don't know me, they couldn't find me, but they are regulars of Sophie's at one of the strip clubs she works at because she works three fucking jobs. That's why she didn't know who Michael Brown was. She doesn't have time to read the fucking news. She's busy making money. So I tell him this, and he goes, okay, well, listen, uh, let, me, let me go talk to my editor. Let me see what we can do. I'll call you right back. 
And so we hang up, and I sit, and I'm sitting on a curb, and I'm just like rocking back and forth, and five minutes last a fucking year before Chad calls me back, and he goes, listen, we have options, and I'm like, thank fucking God. Okay, here's what we can do. You can sell us the original video, and we will protect your identity, and we will pay you, and not the person that stole it from you. Or we can go ahead and just do what we were gonna do. And I waited, for the third option where none of this shit happens, where I get to go back in time and never post the video and, and maybe even go back and like finish college or something, you know? And that doesn't happen. So I chose to sell them the original video because when given the option of fucking or being fucked, I wanted to get one thrust in. So I sell it to him, sign the paperwork, get the check. He tells me when it's gonna be posted. It's gonna go up at 1 a.m. I get off work at 1 a.m. So the night it goes up, I check it. When I get home from work, it's 1.30 a.m. It has been shared 2,000 times. I am not concerned about that because 2,000 in relation to the population of the whole world is not that much. 2,000, like, that's my zip code, maybe, you know? And so I go to sleep, figure, who's going to care about this? And I wake up around 10 a.m. And uh, it's been shared over 200,000 times. And it's everywhere. Again, I open up Facebook, and it's all that's in my timeline. It's all I see. It's everything. And it's not just people I know. It's been picked up by every, every, every major media outlet. Every one of them. Fucking Huffington Post, New York Times, Washington, all of them. Everything. It's everywhere. I cannot get away from it. And I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Because this is huge. And what am I going to do? And my head is a mess, and I don't know what to do, and it's all chaotic. So I did what every like moderately privileged white woman does when shit doesn't make sense. I went to yoga. <laughs> Namaste. And after class, I stood up at the counter talked to my yoga teacher. She used to work in politics. She was PR for a politician. So I, I explain what's happening. And, uh, and there's a couple other people standing, and they're all very interested. Everyone is, I'm holding fucking court with the yoga teacher, like King's Court, that's royalty, and I feel fucking important. And I'm, and I'm telling him, and I'm like, and I don't know what to do. And she says, you have to come forward. You have to publicly come out as the source of the video. That's the, that's the way you protect your friend. And I say, or what else could I do? <laughs> There's nothing else. So a friend of mine uh, was a freelance reporter, and she wrote up an article. LA Weekly bought it, published it. When it came out, just like when the TMZ thing came out, I waited. I waited, I shook, I shook, and I waited. I waited for anything. I waited for everything. I waited for like a knock on the door. I waited for a fucking scary note on my car. I waited for anything, and nothing happened. Not one fucking thing happened. And I'll tell you what, the LA or a weekly article about me did not get shared 200,000 times. It did not get shared 2,000 times. No one gave a shit, you know? Christmas had happened, and everyone had unwrapped some new outrage. No one gave a shit anymore. And I waited for anything to happen at work. I waited to hear from Sophie. Nothing. For like eight and a half months. So long that I had let go of the possibility of her ever finding out. So middle of the afternoon, I get a call from her. 
And I think she's gonna offer me her shift that night. I pick it up, I'm like, hey girl, what's up? And what came back at me was a wall of anger. Just anger, and it's in two different languages. It's like Spanish and English pissed off, mixed up. The only things I can pick out are the word bitch in both languages. I told you not to, and I heard you got paid. And she wouldn't let me explain, and she wouldn't let me apologize, and she fucking hung up on me. And I was sitting there having the fucking gall to be mad at her for not letting me apologize. When stripper mom calls, now that's what I call the coworker of mine that kind of ran the place, you know? She did the schedule, she lived with the owner, she was stripper mom. And she calls, and I'm like, well, finally, she'll talk some sense into Sophie. She'll, she'll make her let me apologize. And I pick up and I'm like, hey. And she goes, <clears throat> and this is ice on ice, just ice on the rocks cold. Well, I just had the most interesting conversation with Sophie. And I was like, uh, you have to let me explain. You gotta let me tell my side. And she goes, go ahead. And tell her what happens, I tell her everything, and at the end, she is silent. And then all she says is, well, you certainly are in a tricky predicament, aren't you? Well, this is a tough situation, isn't it? There's, a, there's one thing, just one thing, that I think you need to remember, and that is uh, what goes around comes around, bitch. And she hangs up. And her icy voice is in my veins, and it's cold and I can't move and I don't know what to do because now I'm fucking scared. Because when you work in an illegal trade, it is necessary that you have the support of the people you're working with. You have to have a united front, otherwise there's no, there's no security there. And so now, I don't even, I don't have my sisters. I've fucked over our little sister, our baby, you know? I've got nothing to keep me safe. And I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm expecting like, uh, I'll, get, I'll get arrested, or, 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 or God knows what other type of setup can happen. And ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, how I became an Uber driver. That's not the real ending. I, I stayed away from the Jack Shack. I stayed away from my job for close to a month until stripper mom called and said, uh, hey, uh, you know, different voice this time. You know, you still have a job if you want it. And I came back. Sophie, we, we did not talk. We didn't talk again. One time, one time we talked again, one time she called, after my dad died, she called to offer me condolences. Because that's who she is. That was the end of the story until Monday. Working on, um, working on this for risk, I had to look at it and I had to look at what I'd done and I had to like really reopen everything. And this time, I was able to see what a fucking asshole I was and how I had fucked over the one person that threw me a life preserver when I was fucking drowning. And so Monday, I texted Sophie and I asked if it was still her number and I asked if she had a PayPal or Venmo 
and she sent me back the link, and I sent her a huge apology. Maybe the most heartful one I've ever given. And I sent her half the money that I was paid four years ago. And she sent me back four, four things. She sent me back a red heart emoji and the words, I forgive you. <laughs> Thank you guys very much. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Courtney Marie Andrews behind me now, and we just heard from Susanna Lee. Now I want to list for you all of the places that Risk is coming next. Remember, we need pitches for a lot of these shows. If you go to risk-show.com slash submissions, there's a helpful video there. There's an audio there. There's all sorts of tips and tricks for how to pitch us your story and how to work on your story. So, hey, you could be on the show at one of these live shows I'm about to announce or maybe doing a radio-style story from anywhere in the world. On June 28th, we are back at Caveat in New York City. On July 17th, we are having our big, big book release party at Caveat in New York City. Now, that is July 17th, the day, the big day that the book is officially released. So come on out because we're going to have a big bunch of people who are in the book reading stuff there on July 17th at Caveat in New York City. Now, on July 19th, we will be at Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge in Boston We'll be doing a book signing and a book reading there. That'll be a lot of fun. On July 20th, we'll be doing a show in Boston, technically in Somerville, Arts at the Armory. That's July 20th in Boston, doing a live risk show there. On July 26th, we are at Book Passage. That is a book signing, book reading, book passage in San Francisco on July 26. Now, on July 27th, we're doing a show in San Francisco at Swedish American Hall. On July 27th, we're doing a show at Swedish American Hall. You can pitch us for that one. The themes are What Was I Thinking? or Spiritual or Under the Influence. 
July 27th in San Francisco. Okay, July 28th, we're back in LA at the Bootleg Theater. That is our book release show in LA. And I will be there. For the first time ever, I will be hosting the Risk Live show in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater on July 28th with a lot of the people who are in the book there uh, doing stories as well. Uh, August 1st, we're in Queens, New York at the Astoria Bookshop. That'll be a book reading, book signing, August 8th in Queens at Astoria Bookshop. August 3rd, Detroit, Ferndale, Michigan. We're at the Magic Bag again doing a show pitches for that one the themes are crazy or the stranger or animal on august 9th we're in lagrange illinois at anderson's bookshop doing a book signing book reading come on out on august 9th at lagrange anderson's bookshop on august 10th we're in chicago illinois doing a show at lincoln hall pitches for that the themes are vulnerable or mean or cover-ups on august 11th We are in Minneapolis at Brave New Workshop. You can pitch us for that. The themes are obsession or dirty or metamorphosis. On August 16th, we're in Washington, D.C. at Kramer Books and Afterwards Cafe. Uh, That is a book signing and a book, uh, you know, uh, reading. August 16th at Kramer Books and Afterwards Cafe in Washington, D.C. And on August 17th, we're in Baltimore at Creative Alliance doing a show. You can pitch us for it. The themes are rabbit holes or me against nature or pride. On August 18th, we're in Washington, D.C. at the Black Cat doing a show. You can pitch us for that. The themes are power or barbaric or opposites. On September 6th, we're in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. The themes are at my worst or lies or ecstasy. On September 7th, we are in Seattle, Washington at the Vera Project. The themes are the worst or glorious or breakdown. On September 8th, we're in Vancouver at the Biltmore. The themes are spectacle or the rules or full volume. On September 20th, we're at NYU Bookstore doing a book reading and a book signing September 20th at NYU Bookstore. Uh, Okay, that is it, folks. If you want to look up our education We teach storytelling. We do workshops for people one-on-one or in groups or videos that you can download online and also corporate workshops. That is all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I am sitting all alone on this train. I am passenger to somewhere I do not yet know the name I am a 1960s movie I am an unwritten story I am when will I see you again People who have ordered the risk book. People who have ordered the risk book. As Stephanie sees. And Jeffar. And Jeffar. And Jeffar. There's Catherine Norbella. And Wendy Fitzhugh. There's Kimberly Ford. 
and Tracy T. Money McMullen. Molly Nicholson and Ellie and Joe Lillow. Ted McTaggart. 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 Lindsay Schley. Annabags. Annabags, Annabags. There's Laura Baumkamp. And Lars Lindstrom. Morgan Jones Phillips. And Sherry Curran. Katrina Randolph. Kevin James and his friend Audra. There's Morgan Caruso. And Matthew Buckbinder. Chris and Ann Hoffman. There's Caitlin Sierra, who says thanks to her mom and dad for the birthday present. There's Riley Hunter and Jen Hunter Myers. There's Kevin Kelly and his friends Zoe and Brent. There's Lisa Stahalik. And Meredith McNary and Phil Riddick. Joanna Parker. And Lurchy Pooh. There's Shayna Hooker and Brian Flamosi, Zoe Hamburger and Emily Post. There's Grace Dumdon and Grant, Rick Smith and Jacob Goodness. Happy anniversary to Kate Lamp and Todd Richmond. Bob Metzger, Bob Metzger. Andrew and Rhea Morrison. There's Kevin Camino. And Catherine Wolf. And her boyfriend, Brad. There's Ross Weasel Laughlin. Nicholas Frank and his girlfriend, Josie. Audrey Renee Taylor and Soren Jacobson. There's Jeff Barrigan and Nicholas Zacharipwitz. And Ian Stanley. And Kenny Reese and Ruth. Willem and just in case it wasn't enough Jeff Bars. Jeff Bar. 